Hi, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. Today, I was able to talk with Joe Wennell from Colorado. Joe Wennell is a carver at Rocky Mountain Carvers, and Joe also started the carving events you might have heard of all over the country called Carve Wars. So I'll go ahead and bring Joe on. Hi, Joe. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. It was a little crazy weekend with all the Corona stuff, but how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm I'm alive. I'm virus free. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good. Yeah, yep, absolutely. How about you? How are you been? Uh we're we're doing good too. We don't really have much going on here yet, so gotcha. hopefully we can keep it keep it under control. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yep. So thanks for being on. I know uh, this is a little bit of a crazy time, but we got all the tech figured out. Oh no worries. Thanks for having me. So the first question I was going to ask you is, and I, I, I guess I ask everybody this because everybody wants to know, wh- what's your story? How did you get started chainsaw carving? Oh boy, you got time? <laughs> yeah, we got time. All right. Uh, yeah, I guess I was a little, it's a little weird, I guess, but not too weird. Uh, so I had just gotten out of the army. Um, I was living in upstate New York and I was working construction and I was also coaching baseball. And I ended up rupturing my Achilles tendon. Um, I was running the bases, overthrow to first, going to second, first baseman, just dropped me like a sack of potatoes, Uh, just completely exploded my Achilles tendon. So I was out of commission for for the good part of a year, Um, which definitely put a strain on things financially. Um, There wasn't much construction work on one leg that I could do. And uh, then when I got back on my feet, I ruptured my other Achilles tendon. Oh no. Yeah. I went back to my surgeon and he's like, yeah, he's, he's basically like, you're, you're screwed. (laughs) That's actually what he said. And uh, he's like, at a minimum, you might have to have uh, assisted walking or something like that. And I was like, yeah, that's not happening. And uh, so after a whole lot of physical therapy and, multiple casts and the whole deal. Um, needless to say, I was, I was going nuts. Um, I, I just couldn't move. I couldn't work. And so I hobbled down the stairs to my shop and I started making log furniture and just to keep me busy from, you know, losing my sanity. And, uh, I made a bed. First thing I made was a log bed. I always wanted to make one. And so I don't remember, took me about a week. And, uh, my buddy came over and he's like, Oh, that's awesome. How much you want for it? And it was going to be my bed. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I don't know. I, I really wasn't planning on selling it. And he said, I'll give you 900 bucks cash right now. And I was like, sold. And so I figured I'll make another one. And I made another one. And uh, sure enough, somebody wanted that one. I sold that one. And so basically I became a log furniture maker. And uh, I got contacted from a guy uh, who had a, a shop that had everything from log furniture to candles, honey, and chainsaw carvings. And so I was bringing my furniture up there for him to sell in his shop. And the chainsaw carver he had working at his shop was John Vincent. I'm sure you know who John Vincent is. And, yeah. Uh, uh, I was just amazed by what he was doing. And so 
every time I went there, you know, he was working on something else and, you know, I was just falling in love with the stuff he was doing. And, uh, eventually, you know, I, I hit him up. I said, you know, Hey, I want to give this a whirl, you know? And so finally one day he let me carve a pumpkin and said, do this, do this, do this. And, you know, it went okay. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really interested in carving pumpkins. <laughs> so, so I went home and I, you know, I had a couple saws already and I started messing around with carving bears and owls and stuff like that. And, uh, they started selling, um, you know, my, just like everybody's first bears, they look like they were made out of Legos or pretty square. Um, <laughs> yep, mine too. but people, people were buying them. And so I was, uh, log furniture maker slash chainsaw carver. And eventually I realized I was making more money chainsaw carving than I was making log furniture because carving so much faster and quicker. Sure. And so that's, that's how it started. Um, I had my own shop at the time in Cooperstown, New York. Uh, and I was still doing both carving and log furniture. And, uh, my wife's a teacher. She got a job offer in Colorado and her parents live here now. And so she hit me up with, Hey, you want to move to Colorado? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Let's go. And I just decided that when we moved, I was just going to go full-time carving and so I did found some stores to sell my stuff, started doing demos and fairs and, you know, the chainsaw carver hustle. <laughs> yeah. That's how I got started. So out of necessity, I guess. <laughs> so my next question, when and how did you start meeting and networking with other carvers? Maybe like after John? Um, honestly, I guess, uh, not really until I started getting into competitions. Okay. Um, as soon as I started getting into my first couple of competitions, I, I would say that's when I really started, um, you know, meeting some other carvers and hanging out and carving with them. And yeah, I would say, God, I'm trying to think other than when I was in New York, when I came out to Colorado. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I really knew any carvers out here until I started getting into competitions. And then it just, you know, you start meeting one, two, five, next thing, you know, <laughs> you know, them all. Yeah. <laughs> you, you remember what your, what your first competition was? Um, it's definitely either. It has to either be whittle the wood at Craig or, or the Frederick show, the chainsaws and chuck wagons, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting old. I guess my memory shot. I don't remember. I'm not oh, sure. That's okay. I, I think they could remember mine, but I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, I, you know what I remember? I just remember being, you know, like just in the dark, not knowing what to expect, being so nervous, you know, who are these guys I'm going against? You know, how bad am I going to mess up? You know, basically that, you know, I imagine everybody felt like that, your first competition. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I so. told this story before. I I tell people all the time, not on the podcast, but <laughs> the first time I was at a competition, it was here in Walker, Minnesota, and it was like a qualifier for the bigger Hackensack competition. And I was actually just quick carving. I wasn't in the competition. Right. And I only had one saw, and I was pretty intimidated, and my my chain fell off 
and I'd literally been carving so little that I didn't even know how to put the chain back on. <laughs> and I think I went over to my truck to like try to put the chain back on so people couldn't see what I was doing. <laughs> hey, you got to jump in at some point, you know. <laughs> it was awful, but I got the chain back on. It was all okay. And I went back and pretended like I knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> been there a thousand um, times. <laughs> okay, so my next question you started Carvors. I was wondering how did how did that come about? Uh so after I did uh I competed at the the Frederick show a couple times and I competed at the the Whittle the Wood show a couple times and I don't know, I imagine everybody has the same thought like oh, you know, or what they would change or what they would do different if they had their show you know? Mm-hmm. And so I came home and I started planning. I was going to put on a competition in my hometown. And so I did. And, uh, it went really well. And, uh, I, I just remember thinking that, um, you know, doing the bigger pieces for the competition and people would come up and ask, you know, is this for sale? And of course being, you know, a carver, I'm thinking, I wish it was for sale, but it's not, you know, it belongs to the competition now, you know? And so, um, and so I just, I remember thinking like, this is what I would do different. So I came home and I did it different, came up with the name Carvors and it went great. And, uh, it wasn't too long after that, two towns away called up and was like, are you the Carvors guy? And I was like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> And so they were like, we want you to do a show. And I was like, okay, uh, sure. And basically it just spiraled from there. Um, it got real serious real quick. I figured I'd better get some, some patents and, and start, you know, getting serious. And it went from one show to two shows to five shows, six shows, kind of overnight. So that's basically how it started. Okay. Yeah. I Like I watch Carve Wars on social media and sometimes it's just checking it here and there. And I'm like, there must be Carve Wars everywhere. <laughs> so, one, and they're, one, are they kind of all over the country now? Uh, yeah. So we're East coast, West coast. Um, we get booked at fairs, museums, rodeos, uh, all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, I mean, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I remember being a carver in the beginning when I first got started and was like, all right, I'm ready to do this. I'm up to speed. I'm up to par. And it was so hard to to get into the few shows that were going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And as Carve Wars started growing and there were more shows, I realized what kind of demand there was, you know, how many carvers there were that we're just like, Oh my God, I'd love to come to your show. I'd love to do this. You know, I've never competed before, but I want to give it a whirl or, you know, I have competed here, here and here. And so there was just a ton of guys looking to just do more shows. And so it's just how it worked. Yeah. And do you, do you mind sharing like how, what does a Carve Wars event look like? Like how does a Carve Wars event work? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, Like I was saying, one of the things I I decided I wanted to do a little different, at least in the shows I was at, is I wanted to auction off the the main pieces, the competition pieces. 
you know, I wanted to make the carvers more money. Um, you know, obviously being on the promoter side and the carver side, you know, you completely understand these guys are coming here to make money. They want to compete, but they also want to go home with money in their pocket. And so Mm -hmm. that's why we started auctioning off the big ones. Well, what was happening was the big ones don't always bring what they should bring as far as money wise. And then on top of that, you run into transporting them or we don't have the size you limited uh who was interested in those pieces in the auction because not everybody's looking you know for a 10-foot bear (laughs) you know what i mean so actually by uh circumstance uh trailer showed up with the guy that was bringing our logs and he pulled up and i was like what are these (laughs) and he's like sorry that's all i had Uh and this isn't what we talked about. And so we were in a position where we just got to make it work. And so I'm sitting there kind of stressing out and I'm like, all right, guys, listen, we're going to do this auction based. There's a giant pile of logs over there. We're going to ring the bell and everybody, you're just going to get turned loose. And whoever brings the highest in auction is going to win. Whoever gets second highest is going to get second, third highest is going to get third. And it was like, my eyes just opened up like, okay, this is how we're doing it from now on. The auction quadrupled. Everybody went home with four times the amount of amount of money compared to when we just had the big carvings. And there was so many more people interested in the auction now that we had everything from small, medium to large. And so, you know, people were buying three, four carvings a time. And uh, the auction just, and not to mention, it's so much easier. We no longer needed equipment to move the logs. Everybody could just, for the most part, walk away with their carvings. Um, plus, it opens up uh, the carver's the carver's skill gets to be more showcased. I guess you know you may know how to carve one thing really well or two things really well. Some guys can carve anything really well, and so they're able to do you know, many different things. And so it just, it worked from the get go and we, uh, kept with it. And, uh, so that's kind of what we've been doing this whole time. And I'm still toying with the idea of having a basically end of the year carve wars championship where everyone that's placed in a carve wars show throughout the year is obviously invited. Um, and then do bigger pieces, at that end of the year show, just so everybody gets a chance to, to do that once a year, to do that nice, you know, jaw dropping big piece. Cause it's fun, you know, to dive into something really big. And so I think that's what we might, might end up doing next year is adding on a final end of the year carvores champions thing. (laughs) Okay, cool. And maybe you, you might have answered this in your last question, but maybe you have some other stuff. Do you have any advice for others about running chainsaw carving events, like about roadblocks you run into or anything like that? Let's see. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, you got to do everything you can to make your carvers happy. Um, you know, it's at Carvors, we, we take care of their lodging, you know, their food. That goes a long way. Um other than that, try and make sure they have a good time. Uh, you got to be prepared to spend a lot of time on the phone. 
Um, now that I do carvors, I I spend so much time on my phone between booking shows and sponsors and booking carvers and just you know the charities and all that kind of stuff. Um, charities go a long way. Um, obviously, it's you know like a feel good part of things, but it also it uh, it helps you out. Um, I think every show should be helping out a local charity. It's uh, it's just a uh, something that's easy to do. Um, every carvor show, we ask the carver to either carve or donate a piece, and they go into the auction as charity carvings, and everything they bring in the auction goes to help out a local charity. And okay. so it helps get the town behind you and, you know, the people and people are always anxious to help out a charity anyway. And then they get a carving to boot. It's a win-win for everybody. Um, so that helps out a lot. Um, yeah. Um, do you, so you personally, when you're carving, do you do anything different when carving for a crowd or do you just kind of carve how you normally would? Oh, no, I definitely would say I do. I carve different. Um, a demo uh, or even a competition, I guess, is a is a show. And so um, I guess I'm show carving, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. For me, I guess it's a little different unless I'm at a different competition. Other, I don't comp- I carve at Carvors, uh, but I only put myself uh, in one competition in the uh, t- we're in Tuckerton, New Jersey, uh, which is where I grew up as a kid and uh we get the it's mostly nautical stuff it's on the ocean and so i put myself in that competition and then at all the rest i take myself out but i still carve and so i say i'm show carving i guess um i'm carving things that you know i've carved before usually i know the steps and you know the people want to see it fast and all that kind of stuff um it's it's definitely different. I know it's different because I really like the creative part of carving. I'm sure that's what we all like about it. And so um, just being in my shop and hitting that point of, okay, what do I want to do different? What do I want to change? You know, what else could I do here instead of what I normally do kind of thing? To me, that's the funnest part of carving. And I don't think I do that at shows or competitions. <laughs> sure. So... Um, I'm always interested in this because I just, I know these events are so different for me. Like when you're at other events that aren't carvors, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when you're carving, do you prepare differently if the event has judges versus people's choice? Oh yeah, definitely. Well, uh, yeah, that's a weird one. Uh, I said definitely pretty quick, but I would, <laughs> I would say it's, it's kind of both. I, I prefer people's choice hands down. Um, that enables because then you're carving to appeal to the masses and so when you're carving to appeal to the masses you can you know subject matter is huge and you know you know which is kind of you know like when you're carving in an auction-based competition you know the pieces that bring the most money are the pieces that the most people are bidding on and so the more people that like it the more people bid the higher the bid goes same thing if it's people's choice. The more people that like it, the more people that vote for it, the more votes you get. And so where when it's judged, from my experience in the competitions that I've been in, uh, 
they're not, uh, it's more like they just pulled people off the street and said, judge this. And mm-hmm. then they've just judged it based on what they like. Where when a carver goes to a judge competition, you're thinking about, you know, everything from cuts to what kind of cuts to difficulty of cuts to everything that you know, because we've all read the scoring sheets. And so we know what the judges are looking at. Well, doesn't always seem to be what they're looking at. And so um, yeah. I prefer people's choice hands down. Um, but as far as carving something different, as far as the judge competition, uh, it might sway me a little bit, but I think that I pretty much go into every show kind of like it's a people's choice, I guess, if that makes any sure. sense. I yeah. guess I danced around that question, but. <laughs> oh, that's okay. It, it kind of reminded me, I was just doing, I, I have my students actually judge art and sometimes I put up chainsaw carvings and I hmm. give them like judges criteria. And I try to talk to him about bias and I'm like, you might look at these carvings and say, I would buy the bear. But if you look at the judges criteria, the blue heron should win. Sure. And they're like, but I don't, I don't like the blue heron as much. And I'm like, but, but look at the judges criteria, you know, and they're so trying to explain bias to them and some of them are starting to get it, but yeah, I definitely said like I said, I'm only speaking from my experience, you know, on another completely different note. So, um, uh, um, I was scheduled to go out to, uh, California at a competition next week, which got canceled due to all the madness, oh, which okay. super bummed about. But so I was really looking forward to see how that show was going to be, be judged compared to the ones, you know, that I've been at. And so right. I was looking forward to that. And, just like anything else, I was, you know, overprepared five times and yeah. looking forward to going and then it got pulled out. And so that's a bummer. Yeah, it is. I, I feel bad for everybody dealing with it. The show's getting my, canceled. My email right now is just like canceled, canceled, canceled. I'm like, all right, everybody can stop sending. I just assume everything's canceled. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I'm hoping we get through this kind of quick. I uh none of my shows are I don't hit the road until uh let's see. I leave the end of May to be in Tuckerton, New Jersey in June. Okay. And so I'm hoping by then <laughs> everything's back on track. Yes, definitely. So, yeah, it's it's kind of I'm curious to see how this season goes. I'm on the road for so much. I'm just curious to see how how this is going to affect everything. I hope. Right. We- I'm, I'm thinking like, or I was thinking like a month or two from the beginning. And then somebody said to me like, Oh, I just heard a projection of four months. We'll be dealing with it. And I'm like, no, don't go into my chainsaw carving summer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, let's see where we first place is Tucker to New Jersey. Then we're back in Colorado at the Eagle County fair. Then we go to Durango, then Denver, then back to New Jersey. Am I forgetting anything? <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be, uh, I hope it all works out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, doing that many shows. Definitely. Uh, it's, it's stressful. You know, you get a new appreciation for the, the people putting on one or even two shows. And so, because it is, it has a lot of, of moving parts. Mm-hmm. It, 
you're just you're on your phone so much of the time it, it takes a lot of carving time away from you but there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits and you know there's things i love about i wouldn't change it for the world so it's a it's a good time and you know i i love being able to give other carvers the chance to you know do something that maybe they wouldn't normally have had the chance to do you know what i mean right i had a carver the other day told me uh thank you so much for for pushing me basically to to, to do a carb wars because the you know they didn't think they were quite ready to to compete yet and i was like yeah. no you you're ready to go trust me i know and sure enough that little you know bit of confidence and doing it and doing well you know just catapulted them so it was it's nice to be able to have that that outlet to give to people no that's actually really cool because that's what uh that's what happened with me when i when i was at that event hiding by my truck because i didn't know how to put my chain on right (laughs) i got i got kind of pressured into doing it and i hadn't been carving very long and I said no over and over and over. And the person was like, you're ready. And uh, after I did it, it was like the best carving I'd ever made. And I was like, thank you so much. And I couldn't wait for the next event. <laughs> That's what it is. You just got to get over that, you know, that nervousness of, you know, am I good enough? And can I do it? And once you do, then you're just, nothing's really holding you back. It's just, you know, how much you carve. Right. On a, once again, on a completely different note. So I was listening to the podcast you had with uh, Stevie and Sandy. Yeah. So, by the way, if they're listening, hey, guys, I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they were doing this and, and, you know, seeing some of the same carvers at least every other year or every year sometimes or at different competitions. I That's one of the most, by far, the funnest thing for me putting on Carve Wars. So... I was listening to to your shows, and one of the questions you need to add, I think, because I'd love to hear them, yeah. is what is one of the coolest or unique or strangest or weirdest thing that you've seen through chainsaw carving? Sure. And I was listening to that one with those guys, and it made me think of, so they were at Carvors, was it two years ago, at the Eagle County Fair in Rodeo. And the fairgrounds is right, it touches the Colorado River. And so where we stay, uh, basically, so we get RVs and we all camp right on the Colorado River. And um, like, I mean, right on it. Like it's, you step out and you got to watch or you'll step right into it. And so um, all of a sudden we're sitting there and I'm, I'm sitting on a rock in the Colorado River drinking a beer. And out comes Stevie and Sandy with a banjo and a guitar and just start busting it out. And it was like, oh, my God, they sound so good. And when I'm telling you they sound good, they sound good. And <laughs> they must have did. I don't know how many songs. And it was just and then, you know, the other carvers came over. And so we're all sitting on rocks in the Colorado River getting a free concert from Stevie and Sandy Songer. And then I think Doug Moreland came over. He had a fiddle. So it was like it was just a full on concert in the Colorado River. And sure enough, a raft goes by with these whitewater rafters. And they were just like you could see their mouths were just hanging open. Like, what's going on? That's incredible. Oh, it was awesome. It was the best concert I've seen in a while. It was a good time. And so I would say that's probably to date my my coolest moment chainsaw carving that I've that I've seen. 
I'd love to hear other people's versions of what they've seen. You might have to put a PG-13 rating on it. but <laughs> True. Oh, that's good. I always appreciate ideas with questions and stuff because a lot of times I'm coming up with them on my own. So I'm like, what should I ask? What should I ask? Right. Cool. So is there is there any other advice you have for carvers out there? Anything that I haven't asked you about? Um, as far as carving, I would say... As far as carving, um, obviously, you know, the, the age old answer is time. Just keep carving, keep carving. But I think as far as getting better as a carver, as an artist is carving with other carvers. Um, I would say I progressed way faster, uh, carving with other carvers, uh, than when I was carving on my own. And I don't mean at competitions, you know, that's different. Um, cause you're so caught up in what you're doing. Um, but I mean, like if, if you're friends with a carver and you're going to hang out with them and, you know, carving at their house or he's carving at your house or, or whatever it is. Um, and you're picking up things that, that they know, or, you know, whatever it is. I think that that was probably one of the most helpful things in, in my progression was just carving with other guys uh, that were better than me. So, um, obviously, you know, you don't want to, I don't know, you want to, you don't want to not carve with people that are better than you, obviously that's awful. But I'm just saying if, as far as, um, helping you out as far as progression or picking up new techniques or even speed or anything like that, just carving with other guys that are, that are better than you, it's, uh, I'd say that's the, the best tool that you have at your disposal as far as getting, getting better, faster. Well, that's good advice. And I don't know, I haven't been able to carve with a lot of people at their house just because of my teaching job. Mm -hmm. But I, when you're talking about that, even when I've been at events, if I'm carving next to someone that's really slow, I actually find myself slowing down to like match their pace. And and then I'm like, oh crap, like I got to not watch them because so I can imagine too, like if you're carving next to somebody that's fast or, or more skilled than you, you would carve more like them or pace with them. So I can see how that would happen. Well, not only that, but so, and you're not, you're not as worried about messing up. You're not going to, you know, sit back and redraw and draw and, and, you know, break out the red pen and all, all that kind of stuff. You're just going to go for it when you're just carving yeah. buddies, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just, and so that'll get you over that hump as well. And so, you know, it, I guess it's easier said than done. I mean, unless you become friends with someone, what are you going to do? You're going to carve or call them up and say, Hey, can I come carve with you? They'd probably be like, who are you? You know? So well, this I, is- I, maybe me being too bold but i do that (laughs) hey you know i i I, you know i wouldn't turn anybody down i'd be like yeah sure come on over so the only time i've turned people down is sometimes people ask me that they want to learn how to carve and i i can't even explain my setup i don't have a setup at all like i just carve in the woods really And, and it's hard enough for me to like get my stuff out of the garage and haul it out there. So if I had a better setup, I'd probably be like, yeah, come on over to my shop, but I don't really have a shop. <laughs> you live in town? No, I, I live in the woods, but like my carving area, I'm, I'm probably actually standing in poison Ivy. <laughs> Mosquitoes and everything. <laughs> oh. Like yeah, people come over and they're like, this is it. I'm like, this is it. <laughs> 
All right. So if you ask me to come over and I turn you down now, you know why. <laughs> that's, yep. a hard pa- that's a hard pass on the poison ivy carving pit. <laughs> Although I I live on a lake, so when I'm done carving, I go swimming. <laughs> okay. That's better then. So that makes up for it. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I would yeah, I would say by far that's you know, other than that, just uh you gotta go for it, you know. The more carving you do, the better you get. Uh yeah. Um I'm still I'm still at the point where I love looking at other people's carvings and when I see one that I'm like, yes, I like that. I immediately want to go out in my shop and carve it. Yeah. You know, um, I know I've heard some people say, you know, that's kind of copying and this and that. I I think it's flattery. You know, I, uh, I would be flattered if someone called me and said, Hey, just so you know, I'm copying your carving today. I'd be like, Hey man, I'm glad you like it. Go for it. And so I try and see, for me personally, even if you try and and replica carving, it always comes out with your style in it. And so yeah, I agree. different in some way. And so it's still yours and it's, you know, but just being able to, to see what they did and understand how they did it and, you know, try and do it yourself. I think that's a, a huge key in learning different things, learning different carvings and and stuff like that you always got to push yourself or you just get you know stagnant and right. so i would say yeah oh, i feel the same way i would be totally flattered if someone tried tried to copy one of my carvings and it is it is how you learn that's how you learn in art school too you start out by copying the masters or copying people that you really like to develop your own style and yep. in chainsaw carving too it's so hard like do you own a certain eagle pose because you do it all the time Right. You know, or do you like what what can you own and can you not own too? Like that gets kind of blurry. Yeah. I don't think anybody owns anything. And at this point, you know, I've I've racked my brain a couple times, like what hasn't been carved? I know. But, you know, if anybody has the answer to that question, I'd love to hear it, you know, because at this point I think everything has has been carved. Um and you even say that in the art world outside of carving, like everything's been made before. Yeah. You know, you'd have to really, really, really get out so outside the box that who's going to buy it to come up with something that hasn't been carved. You know what I mean? Oh, sometimes artists will make something that's way, way outside the box and they're not aware of anything that's ever been made before. And someone on social media will be, well, actually like 85 years ago, there was this artist over in Venice that made, and and they made something similar. (laughs) So, so yeah, I would, yeah, I, I use that. I use, I do that all the time. Uh, I have a couple Carver friends that I'll wake up in the morning and I'll text them and be like, all right, this is what we're doing today. And just for fun and see everybody's version of, of that carving and just mess around friendly competition and stuff like that. That's cool. I know. I can't remember what they called it. I got some, some Carver buddies that, uh, basically what they do is they have all these words um cut up and put in a bowl and you pick three of them and it's everything from elements to you know subject matter musical instrument anything if you can think of it it's in this fishbowl and so you pick out three of them and then you have to incorporate those three in your carving 
And I thought that was a really cool idea when I first heard it. And so you can get some doozies. Yeah, that, that does sound cool. Yeah. It kind of forces you to be creative within yes. limitations. Yeah, and so that's fun. There's all kinds of stuff, you know, as far as just progressing as, as far as an artist. But I guess time's the overall, you know, the overall factor as far as how good you're going to get and how fast you're going to get good and all that kind of stuff. So, but, I well, know. I appreciate you being on, Joe. Oh, no problem. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. I started this podcast so that carvers that are in remote locations or carvers that aren't able to be with other carvers very often can learn from chainsaw carvers from around the world. Please go and check out our other episodes too. And if you could like the podcast, share the podcast, and I'd really appreciate good reviews on the podcast because then more chainsaw carvers will be able to find this and learn from everything that carvers have to share.